You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code PLAY for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. amplify your influence. This is the Flaunt Your Fire podcast, where we defy stale marketing advice and own our power. I'm your host and CEO of Flaunt Your Fire, India Jackson, and today I am joined by co-host Erica Corday. Hey, Erica. Hey, hey, hey. So I wish I could tell you today's episode is going to be exciting and fun, but (laughs) we got some real stuff to bring to you today. Ooh, about to bring that smoke. One of the things that has been on my radar has really been being intentional about every decision that you make for your brand. And before you can do that, you have to identify your values because other than that, we don't know what we're trying to align this brand to. You're just kind of trying to drive around, but you don't have a roadmap. You don't have a compass. And... As you and I, Erica, have been diving into this conversation with the members of our community and went through like a whole month where we talked about brand alignment, what that looks like, where to begin with doing it, questions to ask yourself, um, examples of brands that are doing this well, and really just showing up for each other, doing the work and holding each other accountable. I started paying more attention to what I was seeing happening with brands and really questioning some of the brands that have been in my life since I was a kid. And one of these brands is of all things, right? Cream of wheat, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's breakfast cereal. It's warm. It's comforting. It's something I grew up on. I'm curious, like, did you grow up eating that or did you guys do oatmeal? Um, it cream of wheat, oatmeal, um, grits, all of those, like I had family members that ate them, but I have texture issues with food. <laughs> so yeah. the the sm- see this is this is where I can't see her face, but I know her face because India be like, I'm so over her with this. I don't like smushy stuff. <laughs> so, but I I never I never care for it because of the consistency. But like oatmeal, I didn't care for what it what it smelled like. Cream of wheat and stuff, mm-hmm. I just always kind of, str- well, because remember, it was like the oatmeal out the packets, the 
instant oatmeal. Like that's not even real oatmeal. And I know that now, but yeah, I just remember that whether you ate it or not, that like big kind of paper canister with that like label on it, it was not necessarily a good way. I know that now it was a very iconic thing. So from a brand positioning place, you knew what it was when you saw it. You didn't even have to see the front of it to know what it was on somebody's shelf or somebody's table or somebody's counter. And so it was very recognizable. And I mean, I think it was probably a breakfast staple kind of across the board for a lot of people. But the reality is, is that it was also cheap. So let's acknowledge that there's, you know, it's going to be more of a staple in certain places because it's cost effective. Facts. Like, so (laughs) texture, I don't have issues with texture. I love me some avocado, all the mushy stuff. Give it to me. Mm -hmm. I'm happy with it. We're opposites in there. (laughs) I give her all mine, all that I heat too. You can have all this smush. You can have it. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to me growing up is uh, my biological mother. She had texture issues. While she didn't mind creamy stuff, um, she felt like that staple, the oatmeal, the round canister. When she saw it cooked, it reminded her of snot and boogers, and she oh. just <laughs> she would it's a hell of a mental it. picture. Good lord, yes, snot and boogers. She would not make it. She would not eat it. Um, I can't remember really many times having it as a kid um, at that age range where, you know, you can't really choose what you're eating. Mm-hmm. And so we grew up with cream of wheat. Um, she would eat that because it didn't have the air quotes boogers in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're right. Like it was a staple in my childhood and, you know, find out from my dad, it was a staple like in his childhood growing up with my grandmother. Um, because it was so cheap. Um, and you could make a whole lot of it for a small amount of money. Um, you really didn't need any other ingredients than water. If you had other ingredients, it made it taste better. But um, it was just really a staple and like what I would guess would be like low-income African-American households. And so I never really gave it much thought. Um, and for me... It was something I always look forward to because grandma used to put half a stick of butter in it and like half a cup of sugar. It was probably going to give you diabetes and some heart disease all in one sitting, but it made it taste real good. I'm like, that's a <laughs> visit to the hospital. So something you said was interesting and, I, and I'm going to agree with you. I think it was definitely from a like how much, you know, like a, a, a income level place. But I also wonder from a place of like, did it remind you of somebody that used to make breakfast for you? Like, did it remind people of a different time? And that might not be in a good way because let's just say that that imagery is very um, provoking of some very specific things. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm completely there with you and I actually want to dive into this conversation today. So you're listening today's conversation is really different we're not just talking about creamy wheat and oatmeal from nostalgia standpoint but from a branding standpoint from a diversity of inclusion standpoint there's a lot of things to unpack specifically with creamy wheat i don't know as much about oatmeal and the quaker brand but you mentioned that round canister and for me it was always that red box (laughs) you know sometimes it was a white box depending on which um formula or which edition of the creamy wheat you had 
and there was always a black man on it with the chef hat. And for me as a child, I didn't see a lot of stuff that had people of color on it as like the representative of the brand. So I guess subconsciously being a small child, I always thought it was like, oh yeah, you know, subconsciously, yeah, there's somebody that looks like me on the box or somebody that looks like my ancestors on the box. Cool, right? Wrong. Mm -mm. Wrong, Mm -mm. wrong, wrong. 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 Because... First of all, let's just go ahead and kind of take that whole subconscious piece of like, yes, I show up on, you know, boxes and in marketing as the chef, as the quote unquote servant, the cook, the maid, you know, it's never from a, as much as people want to say, like, it's from a place of like admiration or fondness. No, we're the help. We're the second class citizen. We're in the house doing the work. It's always coming from a place of a stereotype, some type of pejorative narrative creating what we are supposed to think about ourselves and feel about ourselves. Yeah. And I think in a sense that already, you know, has layers to it, but I wish that specifically for cream of wheat, we could say like, oh, well, there was this amazing chef that the character on the original box which originally you know wasn't a human because this is you know i i went down a full-blown rabbit hole so let me tell you if you didn't know it has been around since 1893 you could not have told me this product was that old when i was eating it well um but what you said i'm gonna call out one thing you said you mentioned the word chef i don't know and this is me not knowing history so if anybody knows please feel free to at me and let me know like legitimately I don't know when a black person would have been allowed to have had the term of chef. You just the cook. Yep, you're just you make the, the cook. food. Yeah, you could be great. You could put good and Ramsey to shame, but you're never going to be a chef. You're the cook. You're the butler. You're the maid. Mm-hmm. You do the work. <sighs> so Sorry. there's that layer in itself. <laughs> No, but you're right. Like he was the cook in my mind being, you know, born 1987, you know, in my 30s. I'm looking at this box at like, I don't know, from like six to maybe 13. I'm thinking chef, not the cook. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking somebody that looks like my ancestors, not slave. I didn't even know that this product existed in the 1800s. Um, And then you dive down the rabbit hole. And I'm not going to lie, like, I'm sharing this with you today because, like, it's important to understand the layers of branding and packaging and just being intentional of what you're doing. But it's also important to educate yourself because I watch so many people consume something throughout my lifetime that they just didn't know the history of. And the history is problematic as fuck. So (laughs) let's go into that for a second. This was not developed after a real chef or a cook. This was developed after a fictional character. The fictional character's name was R-A-S-T-U-S. Now, forgive me, but I don't know the proper way to pronounce that. So we're just going to call her Rastus. What do you think it is? I'm going to call him, well, I I think it's probably Rastus. Rastus. So we're going to call him Rastus, okay? Uh Uh-huh. So the character was named Rastus. 
And as I do the research and I learn about this, I'm like, oh, okay. So it's just this fictional name that was given to this guy. And eventually um, there was actually a photograph taken of a person that replaced the drawing of the character, okay? So I'm not a historian, you know, do your research. I always believe in going back and finding your own information instead of just trusting what you heard someone else said. But I do a little bit more digging and I realize, okay, Rastus is actually not some random name. It's a term that was associated with African-Americans in the U.S. um, And traditionally, it was very offensive. It was very racist. um, And it was kind of given specifically to Black men, not just Black people. Um, And there's a whole history within that term. Um, Do your research. You know, there's Wikipedia. There's lots of places to go and do your research. But originally, it was like, the Negro face of being um, perceived as being not just uh, a black man, but also being stupid, like incredibly stupid. So, Um, and so, yeah, so it came up very, like it's, it was a name that as you do your research, you'll see it show up often related to minstrel shows. And we already know. um, And if you don't do your research, but I'm going to assume that you do when I say this, that when the information comes up around minstrel shows, it's essentially black people having to be played by white people in blackface or black people having to play black people in blackface. But it's very much around this uneducated, like goofy, I don't know anything. I'm the butt of the joke. And this, this man was marketed to, he was used as marketing to market a product from a place of being uneducated from a place of being stupid. And so while I won't go into a full tangent, I will say that there's something to be said about this continued marketing around black people being uneducated, stupid, incapable, um, and, you know, not being able to I'm going to say speak the King's English. And I'm saying that because yes, I'm being specific about it because that's how it would be said. Um, But like there's all of these things to kind of say, Oh, you can't, but let's also acknowledge that smart black people are a fucking threat. And so being uneducated might not have even been a fact, but being uneducated meant that it might save your life. And so to take this full stereotype and, and again, pejorative caricature and harmful narrative and to constantly market it and put it out here in this, you know, small kind of, you just going to see it on the shelf and you're not even going to think about it anymore. And it's just beating this way into your psyche. That is fucked up on so many levels. And it's bad because if you think about it, like I can't think of how many products are marketed that way. I can't think about how many shows that would portray black characters in that way. And if you were intelligent, you were meant to be like the sassy black person. Like I remember when I was growing up, it was, what was that show called? Um, It had no Carter on it. And she was the sassy black woman or like the show Benson. He was the sassy black butler for the white family. And I'm like, and I I look back and I'm like, oh, TV was terrible. Like you have such a hard time being able to wrap your head around 
how painful and just I mean it's it's it is like programming and and limitative um signaling at its at its best and worst all at the same time but yet at the same time marketing wise is fucking genius and that's scary it's scary because I'm saying this as a black woman that comes from a black family I'm not mixed um there's probably some other stuff down the line but well my plan to identify as black that's a whole nother conversation because nobody knows what anybody is anymore. And let's also be honest, that came from some things that nobody had any say in. Facts. Um, and so I, I say that with that history to say that we participated in supporting this brand with our money, you know, generationally, generation after generation. And if I had not done this research and if I had children today, I probably would have bought them some cream of wheat and not thought twice about it. No. So, no. As we think about that, it's like, you got to do your research, number one. And number two, just when you thought you found something, keep digging. I mean, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. This storyline is definitely like destroyed cream wheat for me for my lifetime. But <laughs> there's always more shit down there. So yes. I want to fast forward you. I started you in 1893 when cream wheat was created with this drawing let me bring you up to speed to the years of photography or the years of being able to have it be a real human. Well, they changed the face of cream of wheat in 1920-ish. Um, and when they changed the face of that, um, they asked a waiter in Chicago to pose in a chef hat. Okay. And to my knowledge, this waiter um, who was not a chef, who was not the cook. Um, and to my understanding is still unidentified was paid only $5. Now that might've been a decent (laughs) amount of money. Let's just, let's just say hypothetically $5 was like $50. What was going to say $500, even still. How much money did they make off that ass? Just saying. Well, number one, like, let's just say it was the equivalent of $50. I don't know. I'm not a financial person, but let's just hypothetically say that you're asking somebody to do something incredibly degrading of themselves, of their culture, of their ancestors for $50. And if you're not in this industry, you may not know, but models are paid royalties you know, and normally there's a contract which states how long your image is allowed to be used before they have to renew their contract and possibly pay you again. None of that happened with this guy. And so we now have the layer of the shit's racist as hell, but then we didn't even compensate the guy properly that got his face used since 1920 at least. Fast forward a hundred years later, and we're just now having the discussion as to why this person's face is still there. Why hasn't Cream of Wheat let go of this character, this fictitious character that was named after a slur? Right. And was hired in a way that was A, not compensated properly, and no. B, marketed in a way to perpetuate a stereotype. Um, and when I say perpetuate a stereotype, let me educate you real fast. Go in, look it up, do your research. But the ads for cream of wheat back in the day used to say, 
maybe cream of wheat ain't got no vitamins. Vitamins spelled with an E. Vitamins. I don't know what them things is. If they bugs, they ain't none in cream of wheat. But she show good to eat and cheap. Cost about why. one cent for a great big dish. Sign Rastus. And that's why I said Rastus. Because that was exactly how they would have had him play that role. That was how, because again, I think I talked about this recently. I always go back to Samuel L. Jackson's character in Django Unchained. It is this stereotype of what a black man is. And it is God awful. And I'm not religious, but it's God awful. It's horrible. And it is just, it's so challenging to see how it, this is an example where there's so much information around it to be able to fully understand the context. But yet a couple months back when they were like, oh, we're not going to do Aunt Jemima anymore. We're not going to do Uncle Ben's anymore. And it was kind of like, it's just a photo. And in some senses, it is a photo. And it is representative of what you really think about us. It is representative of what the imagery around, you know, black, black people really looked like. And yet from a marketing point of view, there was something reminiscent of a simpler time when a black person would cook you some vittles and you'd be so happy because it was so good. And I'm not saying this because every white person subscribes to this or that every white person is racist, but I want to call you out to understand that what is underneath of that, that maybe you were programmed to consider or to think about or to normalize. That just because it wasn't a part of your life doesn't mean that you weren't still programmed with it. This is that's the whole gift and the curse of marketing, in my opinion, is mm -hmm. meant to be so subtle and so subliminal and so unnoticed that you just reach for it and buy it. And you don't even know why you don't even think about it. Of course, you wouldn't buy something else. You and don't know that, what you're supporting. You don't no. know the beliefs behind the brand. You don't know why the character that was developed the way that it was developed was done. You Correct. don't know who it's hurting. You don't know what it's continuing. Yep. And when I think about this conversation in the context of you, our listeners, you know, most of you own your own business or you're executives at a major corporation. Like, you need to think about that for your own brand. Did you consider every single little piece of your brand? And ask yourself, what is that supporting? When you choose your colors, is it supporting fitting in the box of everything else? You know? And I pose that question because it's not that this was created in a problematic way in the late 1800s. It was allowed to be recreated in a problematic way that's supposed to make it better because it's now not just blackface anymore. It's now a black human, right? In 1920. And then it was allowed to be continued um, even through 2007, when it got resold as a brand to, to B&G Foods, because prior to that, Kraft and Nabisco and their merger owned it. And so like a whole nother company decided to rebuy this and the, nobody questioned along the way, but the no one wanted to do anything until they get called out in 2020. But the interesting thing about what you said was the fact that it didn't change. 
through all of that time, from the beginning, its inception up until now, the overall piece didn't change. And so even though the landscape of today looks very different from, you know, the, the, the late 1800s when this did come into inception, um, you also have to think about the fact that it's normalized. And so this was normalized repeatedly, time after time after time, in the same way that somebody will make a film and will still have a magical Negro in it. And we've talked about that before. And if you don't know, look that mm-hmm. up. And so these things are normalized. And so there's that part of like, why does this keep happening? But it's because it keeps happening. This is just one demonstration of it happening over and over and over and over. And so the problem is the fact that it keeps happening. Absolutely. It's that it keeps happening. And it's also that, you know, people are not questioning what they're participating in. We... And, and I'll say that it's not easy to question everything, right? Once uh, you always refer to like the matrix, but it's like once you take the pill and you see reality, like life just gets a lot different and mm-hmm. people look at you funny and they don't understand and it can look it's, like questioning everything that you buy and you do, but well, can yes. you start questioning things more, please? But the whole problem is, is that there's too many people that are not here for that unraveling. Because when you start to actually look at things and it's like, wait, why is this on this box? Why is this called this? Why is this imagery here? Why does this one have a, have a scarf on her head? You know, why does the tagline sound like this? And so the, the challenge is who is up to the challenge of saying, I am willing to go through and actually do away with things that aren't supportive of where I want to see us go as a society. Because if one can't go, none of us should be going. Like there's a point to where it's like, if it's okay to let black images that were rooted in slavery to stay on the box in your cabinet in 2020, like if that's cool, we got a problem. Like, we got even more of a problem than what we already know we have. Like, the fact that you're like, well, but I mean, it's just a box. Is it, though? Is it, though? And it's like, would we be saying the same thing, you know, and I hate to use the reference, but, like, if Hitler was on a box of cereal for your kids, like... Hell no. Hell no. It wouldn't even be (laughs) a conversation. But, you know, that's the nature of what has happened here in the United States and many other countries is it wasn't always so blatant. And it's there's so many layers to how things were done. And it's so systemic. And some of it is so subtle that you have to really work to see it. Um, I'm a challenge. Once you see it, you can't (laughs) see it. No. And I'm a challenge you on that. I'm a challenge you on that. It was always blatant. What changed was the awareness and the ability to say, I'm not going to be silent and okay with this anymore. I'm going to use my voice and say, I don't want to be portrayed in this way because this is not my truth. This is not who I am. I don't, because when you look at menstrual shows, when you look at all of the the imagery around Mammy, if you think about something like Gone with the Wind, we are, as Black women, are portrayed in very specific ways. And again, the same way for Black men. And so it has always been uber blatant but people started to know more and it was like 
oh hell no i want i don't want to be a part of this anymore i don't want to be a part of this i can agree with that actually you're right it was blatant um, I think one of the things that I'll say for myself that has happened for me and my truth is that some of the pieces I didn't see because I feel like our history that we're told in school growing up is not real history. And no. so me getting the full picture as a child, you know, from that more innocent place of things, I'm seeing a black chef. That's what I see a black chef. That's a beautiful thing to celebrate. I'm not seeing you know, a character created in the 1800s rooted in racism. And I feel like in America, we've buried so much history that contributes to kind of that blindingness. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being helpful to use about the it. Words, Maybe other people see it clearly and don't care. Uh, yeah. Well, and some people are, but I'm going to use the words of William Barr. History was written by the winners. And so if you were not in a position of being able to be the victor in something, your narrative now is told through the eyes of the person that came out on top, whether or not it's accurate or not, whether or not it's right or wrong. You don't get to control that narrative anymore. And so history was given by the people that wanted you to see it through their eyes. We're seeing it all play out right now when it comes to the Supreme Court stuff. Oh, well, we're a, we're a right-leaning society. So, of course, this is how we should be. I don't know who the fuck told y'all that. That ain't true. But fact of the matter is you were given what you were supposed to be given. And you were given the narrative to support what society needed then and still needs now to run, which is why we're having half of the problems that we're having, because it can't run with people questioning the narratives anymore. We can't run with people poking holes in what we previously just took at face value, which is why marketing doesn't look like it used to, because people don't just take it and say, oh, this is awesome. You gave me ramen noodles, and of course you put an Asian face on the front. What the ham sandwich is that shit? Like, you don't yeah. you don't have to swallow that anymore. And so the problem is that you can't just automatically do that and give that, you know, systemic kind of programming. People question it. And so the whole reason that cream of wheat is getting called to the carpet to finally change this racist shit is because there's enough people that are like, I will not go silent on this. I'm not buying this shit and I don't want anybody else to have access to buy it as it currently stands because it's not about the product. It's the marketing. It's the messaging. And that's where people don't understand. It's not always about your product. How are you selling your product? How are you marketing this to people? What are you, what's the story and the narrative that goes with it? And unfortunately the story and the narrative of a lot of the things that go into our cabinets comes from a very problematic past. Absolutely. I couldn't have said that better myself. And I mean, this is part of the reason that we've been supporting clients together with auditing their marketing, you know, mm -hmm. and really combing through it to see, is it as diverse? Is it as inclusive as you say you want it to be? Are there any things within your language, within your visuals, within the way that you move through your business that is appropriating another culture. 
or Mm -hmm. is harmful. You know, it's a really big part of the work that we do together. I'm so grateful that we've started to do this work together. I won't lie. (laughs) When you decided to be a DEI coach and I went down this rabbit hole with you, like (laughs) I took the pill and some days (laughs) it's harder than others on knowing what I know, but I am so glad that we're doing this work and able to change things one business, one person at a time. Um, And if you're listening to this episode, I'm going to encourage you to go over to pauseintheplay.com, click on the community, or go to pauseintheplay.com slash community. You need to fill out your application. There's so much happening within that space and conversations happening that are opening people's eyes to things that they never considered. Erica, I your new tagline, reconsider your normal like is Mm -hmm. all over this episode for me because I am having to reconsider everything I ever thought about my childhood favorite breakfast. Oh, poor baby. nothing normal about that. (laughs) And I'm going to acknowledge it's not an easy thing when you realize that there are things that were a source of comfort for you and you begin to peel back the layers and you don't feel so comforted by it anymore. But it can present an opportunity to create new sources of comfort and sources of comfort that come from a place that is more equitable and considerate of someone else's reality. And there's a lot of power in that. And because it's not always an easy thing, that is why I do feel like this is the type of thing that is done easier in community with other people. Doing this on your own is fucking hard. It is very difficult. It is Even challenging talking to fellow black people. And I'm mm-hmm. not the white woman client that people think we only have. That is so not true. We have clients no. of color. Absolutely. But even talking to people who look like me about cream of wheat has been hard. And they're not always coming from the same place. No. And, and sometimes it's hard to acknowledge something that you clung to as a sense of normalcy that like, oh, no, you got to let that go. It's hard. Yes. And so this is where I will challenge people that don't look like me to remember that as challenging as it is for you, it's not representative of you. So please just keep in mind how it feels for those of us that it is supposed to be a representation of us and how that's layers that we have to peel back, which is a part of our own work to do. And so understand that like nobody escapes from this unscathed. We all have to kind of go through the baptism by fire with this. Because this is some foolishness to have to unlearn and to relearn better ways of doing this. And it's a constant evolution. So you have to be patient with yourself and you have to understand it's not going to happen overnight, but you have to start somewhere. Just start. Thank you so much for being here on this episode, Erica. And I'm holding you as my accountability buddy to help me find a new breakfast. No more cream of wheat. Out. (laughs) (laughs) See you all in the next episode. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit as a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. 
Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?